Well, it's been yet another huge week in the United States, and we'll talk to uh, Celeste about that in just a moment. COVID keeps going, fighting over abortion keeps going, and also a big story about Social Security and that storm as well. Celeste Katz-Marston is with us in uh, Boston. Good morning, Celeste. Good morning. Okay, firstly, the weather. I saw that astonishing footage from New York, uh, in particular the subways. I mean, it it was it was incredible. I mean, I know Boston was a lot further up, further north, but I mean, you were getting a little bit of the of Hurricane Ida last time. Well, what's firstly, what's it like there, and what what's your reaction to what happened in New York? Yeah, well, up here, it's certainly we are not seeing. Uh, anything of the intensity that they're seeing in New York, which is where I'm from. I still have my place there. We'll be going back. And uh, uh, yeah, up here, we did have some tornado watches. We did have some flash flooding alerts, uh, some uh, serious rain, wind, but again, nothing like what they're seeing in the city where you are seeing this footage of just cars underwater, subways completely drowned. Um, you know, there, there have been some reports of deaths uh, uh, around uh, New York City, uh, just really shocking and a lot of calls for people to take this seriously as an indication that the climate is changing and uh, if we don't do something about it, we are going to be in very, very big trouble. Um, Manhattan is an island and uh, if you think about the concentration of people and you know, buildings and businesses and, and so on, it, it's really quite scary. I've, I've been in New York City in a hurricane, in a number of hurricanes, and it is it, is, it can be terrifying. So uh, Chuck Schumer, we just heard in our news, uh, is saying, well, this is all to do with climate change. But one of the f- things about weather, though, isn't it, is that people have very short memories. They think, oh, this is the worst it's ever been, and in fact it was just as bad the previous year. But, you know, what we are seeing with weather events like this, as we were always warned, more often, more frequent, uh, more, you know, uh, far worse in that sense, um, you know, more intense, I think is what they say. So we used to see this sort of thing maybe once every 10, 20 years. Now we're seeing it basically every year, aren't we? Yeah, you know, again, it does seem to me that uh, we are seeing more intense weather, more sort of cataclysmic storms. And if you think about what's going on more broadly, you know, in the United States and Canada right now, uh, this combination of just extraordinary heat waves, forest fires, wildfires, uh, floods, storms, it's sort of really end of days type stuff. And, you know, for the people who say, well, you know, we we haven't been around that long or we haven't been keeping records that long. Maybe this is just part of a natural cycle. I think that you can look to the climate data that shows, you know, rise in global temperature, melted the rate of, of melting of ice caps and so on. Um, so even though we haven't been around for a very long time, we can see that the climate has changed very dramatically in the time that people have been around and in the time, say, you know, post-industrial revolution and, you know, the keeping of records and so on, that, yeah, you know, there was an ice age. There have been wildfires. There have been meteor strikes, for that matter. But I think it's the rate of change that is causing the concern. And, I, and you know, it seems to me, certainly, that based on the data, that concern is warranted. How different do you think it's going to be, though, with a Democrat president compared with a Republican, that something might actually be done? I know there's a big meeting in Scotland later this year, 
but no one agrees. I mean, maybe the some countries of the nation will agree on this, but no one's going to really ever agree on what needs to be done, will they? It's it's really a sticky problem. And the way I look at it personally, I'm not an expert on it, but the way I would look at it personally is that, you know, there, there are two sides to this. One of is what we can do domestically. If we can uh, give incentives or impose penalties for pollution, for uh, carbon emissions, uh, for uh, incentivizing clean energy, like that's one thing. But I think it's also really very much a diplomatic mission that involves not just us, but all of our all of our allies, all of the large industrialized nations, to really put pressure on countries, particularly China, uh, to change the way they're doing business. I, I think there was just recently a story about um, the coal industry in China and how they're ramping that up. And you know what we do here certainly certainly matters, uh, and how we act in uh, you know trade deals. Uh, also really matters. But I think it, it is going to be an issue of diplomatic pressure. And I think you have seen from the Biden administration somewhat more interest in engaging in those kinds of conversations. You know, you know some texters, one in particular, says weather and climate are two different things. Don't be alarmist. Well, if you're not going to be alarmist about this sort of thing, I don't know what you can be alarmist about. Yeah, sure, weather and climate are two different things, but the climate causes the weather. And when the weather goes weird, you've got to ask, what's happening with the climate, surely? Anyway, there are some people who will never be convinced and perhaps will um, no longer be with us once uh, you know we see the true full effects of what's going on. Now, something else that people have differing views on is the really difficult issue of abortion. Now, in many countries in the round, around the world, Australia, for example, the matter is, has been settled for a long time, but it is still a very divisive political issue in the United States that some people thought was settled 50 years ago in this famous Roe versus Wade case, um, which went all the way to the Supreme Court and that basically the Supreme Court declared abortion legal in the United States. Now, since then... States, local organisations have been chipping away at that, trying to make abortion illegal again. And the greatest battle over the Supreme Court, stacking it or not stacking it, is making sure that you have enough justices that will agree with your side of the view if you are a politician or president in particular. What's happened in Texas this week? So Texas enacted a state law that basically uh, prohibits having an abortion procedure or, or abortion procedures in general after six weeks of pregnancy. And uh, it, it has a number of interesting or disturbing, depending on how you look at it, uh, features to this law where basically it allows anybody who is not even involved in the abortion process to file a lawsuit against anybody who is with the exception of the patient of the woman so um, you as a private citizen have the right to sue an abortion doctor for performing an abortion on somebody you don't know you could file a lawsuit against the person who drove the woman to the abortion clinic you know there are um, a lot of people who could be subject to to state litigation. So they asked the Supreme Court to look at this, and basically they said they would not. 
and they refuse to block the law. And a lot of people are really concerned because what this means is that if the Texas law, at least for now, is allowed to stand, then other states will look at that and say, well, we're going to pass the same law. The Supreme Court didn't stop Texas. Why will they stop us? And there are a lot of, uh, you know, technicalities to the law that basically allow you to get around the precedent of Roe versus Wade, which, as you said, was has been the law of the land for something like 50 years. And people did think that matter was settled, but um, the efforts of people who oppose abortion or want to restrict it have not stopped. And this is sort of a very big moment for abortion opponents to say, look, maybe we found a way to limit abortion without running afoul of the Supreme Court. So this is why, I think this explains why so many people who personally found, say, Donald Trump an anathema to everything they believed, Republicans, they couldn't stand him, they hated him, but they supported him because they knew that he could do something with the Supreme Court because at that point the Republicans had a majority in the Senate, which meant that they were able to stop Appallingly, I thought, um, Barack Obama from appointing a justice in his last term, in, in, in the last year of his, his, ter- his second term, Barack Obama, and they held out. And even today, uh, Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate, said, well, we'd, we'd do it again if we could as well. So the, the democratically elected president would not be able to name somebody to the Supreme Court. And it's basically on about one issue and that is the issue of abortion. Is that right? There, I think, I think abortion for, um, for a lot of conservatives is sort of the focal point of the court. There are lots of other um, issues that the court focuses on and that matter a lot to people. If you're talking about conservatives, for example, the Second Amendment, gun rights, very big issue. Um, but, you know, this is something that reverberates to um, you know, many other things potentially besides abortion. Again, this is a very narrow law. This was essentially sort of uh, rejected by the court on a technical ground, which is the way the law was designed. It was designed to get around uh, federal law. But, you know, I guess the question becomes, if there can be limits on this, what else can there be limits on? And, you know, it's really sort of interesting. Conservatives tend to uh, speak about themselves and their beliefs as very much individualistic, about personal choice, about keeping the government, uh, you know, out of your home and out of your decision making. And this seems to be a way for other people to intervene in in what you know I think is reasonably considered a, a highly personal decision. There, you know, people are basing it, of course, on what they call the right to life, the belief that. Uh, abortion is the the ending of human life um, immediately after conception. Uh, that would qualify as human life. So I, I think that, you know, this is not only an issue specifically for abortion um, and for medical decisions, but, you know, who knows what other precedents it might set. Not just not clear yet. It's interesting because, of course, many of the people who are pro-life, as they say, are all in favour of the death penalty as well. Uh, they're all in favour of open carry for guns and no limit on gun control. So it's basically, well, up until you're born, we'll look after you, but after that, you're on your own. Yeah, I mean, you can certainly see, I mean, if, if life, if your premise is that abortion should be illegal because life uh, of all kinds 
uh, of any person is sacrosanct. Human life is inviolable. Then you could say, yeah, okay, then why are you okay with giving somebody a lethal injection or putting them in, um, you know, uh, in front of a firing squad or something for that matter? Uh, you know, you can you can really go down a rabbit hole with arguments about, you know, uh, an embryo versus somebody who's committed a capital crime. You can you could do that. I'm sure we're not going to do that here, but um, you know, there there are some sort of some sort of head scratchers there in terms of what qualifies as a meaningful human life. Mm. All righty. Now, let's move to COVID at the moment. And what we were also seeing is that there seems to be this endless number of people who thought that the whole thing was a hoax, that there was there was no worse than a flu, they weren't going to wear a mask, they weren't going to get vaccinated, and then they've caught the uh, the, the virus. Some of them have died. Joe Rogan, who's, uh, you know, I used to like him when he was on that show, News Radio, but uh, I've never listened to his uh, podcast, which is very, very popular. He now has uh, has got COVID and also announced that he, he tried to prevent it by taking that horse or sheep drug, which people, uh, you know, ivermectin, which are, uh, people are taking in Australia, people are taking in America. And I, I just can't believe that they want to take something which has is not going to help them, that might actually kill them, yet they won't take the vaccine, which will help them. What is the, I just don't understand that. Uh, it, it's, it's a tough one. And, you know, personally, we've talked about this. I have opted for full vaccination. I plan to get my uh, third shot, my booster shot, when it becomes available. And that's, uh, you know, dictated by what we know about the science. But, yeah, you know, I think this is just an example of somebody who does have a huge following. The guy has, you know, something like, I don't know, he has uh, millions and millions of followers. He's got the most, uh, you know, he's got this incredibly popular podcast, Joe Rogan Experience, and he's out there saying, hey, you know, I'm taking this medication, ivermectin, uh, and I feel great. Uh, I'm doing everything I can to get over my COVID. And, you know, that's kind of scary when you think about people sort of taking the science or the treatment into their own hands instead of getting the vaccine. And, um, you know, FDA approval uh, was on an emergency basis for the vaccine at first. Now it's getting full FDA approval, which means it's safe and effective and uh, people are being advised to take it. We do have millions upon millions of people vaccinated in this country. Um, But yeah, there are people who you know, either listen to these sort of influencers who just have a a patent distrust of the government for a lot of reasons. Um, Maybe they're afraid of needles. I don't know. Maybe they don't think COVID is serious. And then if they get it, they think it's like taking cold medicine. And I don't think that taking an anti-parasitic medication designed for horses is the same thing as uh, getting a, a shot effective and intended for humans. Okay, Bob makes the point. Mandatory vaccines show that the government has the right to regulate how you treat your body for things like abortion. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, not to, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting point. And yeah, I mean, there is an element of personal decision here. I guess what it comes down to, and I, I can't I can't answer all the questions all the time, but, you know, are you making a decision that is safe for yourself? Are you are you talking about, uh, you know, arguably personal decision in the case of abortion, although some people would say it affects, uh, you know, the future baby and not just you, but are you talking about a highly contagious communicable disease that has killed hundreds of thousands of people in this country and, you know, God knows how many people around the world or made them incredibly sick? 
um, you know, you don't catch getting pregnant, I guess, basically would be the bottom line on that one. Mm. Uh, that's an oversimplification, but, right. you know, you could okay. look at it that way. All right. And finally this morning, this is something that people have been worried about for a long time. It may have happened before, but Social Security, which is where people pay in to uh, the government, basically, and then when they retire, they get a pension. Um, well, it was always going to run out of money or at least to have uh, more money coming out than going in, and that's what's happened for the first time in 39 years. That's because there are more older people than younger people, and yet everyone gets it. There's no means test. Like in Australia, if you you know the government has a pension, but if you earn you know a certain amount, you don't get the pension. I mean, are they going to have to do something like that? I think that, I think that Social Security is it's sort of related to how much you paid into the system. There's a relationship between what you have paid in and what you get back out, um, and it, it is distributed among all people who contribute uh, to the system. And yeah, basically what we're looking at here, though, is you know this is something that people. It's very hard to live on Social Security alone. The benefit is not that high, um, but we're looking at running out of funds with people living longer. Uh, collecting for longer, uh, and uh, you know this is this is going to be this has been a, a, an issue for a long time in the U.S. But uh, they're going to have to look at different ways, whether it's you know cashing out bonds and so on that that uh, might be used to increase the um, the pool of available funds, or if it would be raising taxes to add more money to the pool of funds. There are there are a lot of things, cutting spending and putting it into Social Security, lots of things that can be done, but People are looking at, you know, sort of the, the time horizon on this program, and it's, it's becoming a reality that the thing is going to run out of money much sooner than than people thought. Mm, all righty. Look, we're going to have to play the new ABBA song, so we'll have to leave it there. Thanks, Celeste. We, <laughs> oh, come on. Some things won't be stopped, and progress is one of them. And uh, Celeste Katzmaston, thanks very much. Talk to you again uh, next uh, in two weeks' time. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Celeste, in Boston.